Well, we're turning to Psalm 92 for the sermon passage this morning. As I mentioned, I read this last week as a call to worship, or the first five verses anyway, and it just is such a powerful Thanksgiving psalm. And I wanted to speak this morning for a few minutes on the subject of a lifestyle of Thanksgiving. A lifestyle of Thanksgiving. If you don't have a Bible, there is one provided for you in the uh, underneath the rack um, or the, the underneath the chairs in front of you in the little rack, the little black hardback book. Uh, although I didn't say that in time for you to probably scramble enough and find your place to Psalm 92 there. But if you have a Bible app um, or something, you could open it there as well. The words will be on the screen. But let's look together at Psalm 92 and we'll read all 15 verses. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word and just out of attentiveness to his voice and reverence for the king who speaks to his people. Listen to the word of the Lord. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord, how your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my God, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you now, as always, for your word and open it with the expectation you have something to say to us in it and that you have, by your spirit, the power to make it come alive to us. Lord, you know what's on our hearts and how your word needs to penetrate it and change our thinking and our direction, how to encourage, comfort, challenge, rebuke, and exhort all of who we are we bring to you in this moment and ask, Lord, that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory, because this is all yours. And so I ask that you'd move me out of the way, Lord, and use my voice as your instrument today for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you read or watch the news daily, I might advise that you don't do that, actually, but that wasn't even in my notes. 
Uh, I might advise you to do that less often, but if, if you do, uh, if you watch the news daily or read it daily, then you probably uh, are daily inspired to pray. Or at least you have reason to pray, right? It's like right in front of you all the time that there's lots that, that needs God's intervention. Lots of bad things going on in the world. Of course, that's mainly what we know about uh, from the news. Lots of, of, uh, of bad things that we would want God's interve- intervention in. And we read about it even this week. I mean, fraudulent business leaders, senseless wars, violent crimes that never end, it seems. There's always the next one coming. Lying and scheming politicians. High prices keep going higher. Fuel shortages, etc., 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 right? There's just, there's always a list. That's some of this week's list, but there's always more going on. And it, it may leave us fearful and fretting about those things that may leave us grumbling and complaining. Or it may leave us feeling agitated, angry, and frustrated about how unjust the world is. It's, it's not fair. Things ought not to be this way, we might say. And, and those might become the prevailing thoughts of our own hearts and reflections on our minds and even the words out of our mouth. But even though we have justifiable reasons for feeling those ways, it is good, the psalmist says, to give thanks to the Lord. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. And it's bad for us not to. In a similar way, perhaps, or by way of analogy, we might think of how it is good for us to exercise. Or at least to have some, you know, some regular physical activity. It is good for us to engage in that physical activity. And it's bad for us if we don't. Right? We know that to some degree. Um, you, can, you, you can debate the details of that probably as just it seems like everything is debatable. Uh, just about everything's downright polarizing. But like we know to some degree that's true. If we sit around all the time, that's bad for us. Some physical activity is good for us. But even though we may have good reasons, at least what we consider to be good reasons, not to exercise. Uh, oh, I'm too busy. Just don't have, I don't, I, I don't have time for that. Or the weather is bad. You know, it's too cold outside. It's raining. It gets dark too early this time of year. Stays dark too long in the morning. Gets dark too late in the evening. And by the way, it's cold by the time it's dark. And all kinds of reasons why I can't get out and exercise. Might be some activities are physically difficult. Right? Maybe lots of activities have been sort of removed from the list of things that you could do to get exercise. And you say, well, it's just, it's too painful, hard, whatever. But in reality, what we know is even though those seem like good and justifiable reasons, that, that, that against all of our excuses, there really are ways that we could find to be more active. 
And so if we can't go outside, we could walk the stairs inside. If we don't have stairs, we could just do some squats or, uh, you know, or, or, you know, if you can't, if you can't ever go outside, you get one of those exercise bikes inside. If you can't pedal a bike, you can get one of those little bikes you pedal with your arms or whatever. In other words, there are things we can do, um, even though in many cases we, we choose not to. But it doesn't change the fact that it is good for us if we do, bad for us if we don't. And again, I'm saying that by way of analogy just to illustrate the point that when life is not sunshine and rainbows, when you're living every hour in moments that, that overwhelm you with trouble and you know there's somewhere beyond that, there's something to be thankful for, but you can't see that right now. That even then, there are still ways we can express our thanks. And so that's what I want to give some quick attention to this morning. Six ways to cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Right here from Psalm 92. First of all, we can sing songs of thanksgiving. This is actually a really, really practical measure that we can take. And it says in verse 1 and 3 here um, that we're speaking of a song. It's good to give thanks, to sing Praises, to sing praises to your name, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. I wrote a few weeks ago a newsletter article about how music itself is powerful. That even that, that in, an, in a kind of mysterious way, God has made it so that it just is. Even without the words, music has power to move the heart in a way that nothing else does. But it is especially powerful when we put God's truth with the music and sing it. And partly because, again, just on a practical level, song has a way of getting inside of our hearts. Right? Getting inside of our minds and you can't get it out. For me, I remember when we were raising kids and, uh, and, and, you know, Barney the dinosaur was a popular children's character and his dad Burns song would get in my head and I'd be walking around work at Wachovia Bank whistling Barney tunes. I'm cursing Barney in my heart. But the, the point is, song has, has that sort of Power, it just it, it gets in your head and in your heart, and it's why all the reason why, once again, that, uh, that in the church of God, we ought to sing best songs, right? We, we, we want to sing good, solid truth because that's what's going to get stuck in our head. And so, a melody and a message just reside there. And so it's, it's good for us to sing songs of thanksgiving. Or if you can't sing them, just play them out loud in your house and let somebody else sing them over you. And I don't mean because you can't sing, which is true 
probably of some of you, but I mean like, like not, 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 not any commentary about your musical ability. I'm just saying like when, when you, don't, you can't think of a song of thanksgiving and there's nothing in you that feels inspired to sing a song of thanksgiving, put one on and play it over you and over your house. Fill your house with songs of thanks. You know, it can be like just, just turning on a hot shower and letting it pour over you. And how that can be soothing and comforting or whatever. Songs of Thanksgiving. I thought of several old Thanksgiving hymns some of you may know. And there are, of course, more modern um, songs as well. But songs like, and if you don't know them, you could look them up and play them or learn them. Many are in the hymnal. But songs like, Now Thank We All Our God. That's a glorious one with the organ behind it. Come, ye thankful people, come. Or for the beauty of the earth. I'm pretty sure I learned those two Thanksgiving hymns in my public school, second grade classroom, where Mrs. King was my teacher. And Mrs. King had been teaching a while. She was a little bit ornery. But she seemed to be determined that nobody in Washington was going to tell her she couldn't sing hymns. And even learn the Christmas story as we did in her public second, second grade class. But those, those hymns are still, those Thanksgiving hymns still stuck in my head. We Gather Together is another one. Uh, one called Let All Things Now Living. I'm actually naming these because if you don't know some Thanksgiving songs, here's six. And if you didn't write them down now because you you know, didn't have a pen or whatever, you can play this back later and you can write them down later. But, but, uh, but, but these are ones that you can just learn or uh, play in your house to just give words of thanksgiving. And then I, I did uh, mention here, Give Thanks, which we'll sing uh, as our response song and one that is very familiar for those who have been uh, kind of in evangelical circles for, uh, for a, a long while, a more modern Song, there are others as well, again, that you may know, but the point is, one of the practical, um, powerful, and effective things we can do to cultivate a life, a lifestyle of thanksgiving, is to sing songs of thanksgiving, because those songs will stay with us. Second, make thanksgiving a daily habit. You know, verse 2 here says that it's good to declare God's steadfast love in the morning, and his faithfulness by night. That being uh, in, in concert with just his routines of prayer, morning and evening prayer. And that as I pray, it is good to give thanks. And so we ought to form the habit of offering thanksgiving every time we go to prayer. That really is a fine habit. You can't, you can't thank God too much. And even if it's a habit, and even if you use written prayers of thanksgiving because somebody has the words that you can't muster up, you, you just you really can't come up with the words to say. Somebody else has written some down for you. And, and you could pray the Psalms. You can pray uh, prayer, prayers out of prayer books and that sort of thing. 
but make it a daily habit. Such that it is not uh, only when we feel like giving thanks, but also when times just aren't good at all. You know, it's easy to express thanksgiving when it's overflowing. Right? When, I mean, when, when, it, when things are just going great and you are just whistling. You know, when it's one of those seasons of time, it's just good and you're smiling and you're happy and cheerful. and all. It's, it's easy to give thanks then. And so do, please do. But when we aren't experiencing specific circumstances for which we're thankful, we can thank him for things that are generally true. And that's what I want to share in the remaining points here. But we form a habit of it in our prayer that part of what we know we're going to pray is thanksgiving. And not just thanks for the gifts he's given us, the things that we could number specifically and personally, but even uh, general things that are true of him. Like, point number three, we can thank God for his good character. That's one of the things the psalmist does here. Again, in verse two, which I just read, his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Those are uh, character traits of God that are always true of him. His steadfast love. I love those words. I love that the Bible reminds me those that that is true of God, that his love is steadfast. Nobody else you and I know has steadfast love in that way, but it is, it is unfailing, it is unwavering, it never runs out, it never runs slow, never fails, it's constant and reliable, his steadfast love. Thank you, Lord. You see, at any time, at any time, no matter what you're feeling and what your circumstances are saying to you, at any time, you can thank God for his steadfast love, for his faithfulness. If we are faithless, remember, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He can't be anything other than faithful. And we could go on. That's, there's a long list of things that are true about the character of God. We could thank, we could thank him for any, of those, uh, for any of those truths about him. As verse 15 does, thanking him for his righteousness. There is, there is no unrighteousness in him. None. No shadow of turning. He is light and there is no darkness in him. Thank him for his good character. You can always at any time do that. Even when the circumstances don't seem worthy of thanks. Number four. Thank God for his good works. Not only for his good character, but his good works. Verses 4 and 5 speak to this. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. Do you notice there the psalmist did not name some specific way in which God's work has been good toward him? Although surely it has. But my point is, 
that doesn't have to be the thing pressing upon us. That doesn't have to be the thing that we're even recalling or remembering. That what's generally true all the time is that, uh, that God's works are good. His works of creation and providence. He created the world, a beautiful world. A world that, that displays his majesty and glory. We thank him for his good creation. We thank him uh, not only that he created them all, but that he holds them all together. That's his providence. That he presently upholds all things. And that from his view and his view of the, his view of the present and of the future and of eternity, he's working that not only upholding all things, but working them together for good. But in both his creation and providence, he reveals his power, his wisdom, and his goodness. Thank him for that. And we can thank him too, not only for his work of creation and providence, but his work of redemption. Thank you, Lord. One of the things I can always say, thank you, Lord, that you saved me. I still remember I needed saving. I don't know exactly what my life would have been otherwise, but it would have been a mess. But he redeemed me from the pit. But, but again, even more generally than that, that is part of what uh, his fingerprint on the whole history of mankind is a work of redemption. From the very beginning when man fell into sin, he began working out a plan to redeem what was lost. And we might point out that in the title of this psalm, it says it's a song for the Sabbath. This particular psalm was a song to be written by the people of God when they come together on the Sabbath day, a day where we rest from our work and remember His, right? And, and, and really just focus our uh, praise upon Him, but we remember His work. And in Exodus and Deuteronomy, when the Ten Commandments were given, and in Exodus, it mentions the Sabbath as a remembrance of creation, and in Deuteronomy, the Sabbath is also a remembrance of his redemption. That in history, he redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. So we thank God for his good works. Even when our circumstances aren't good, his works are. And they have been. We can thank him for that. Number five, thank him for his ultimate justice. This is what verses 6 through 9 uh, are about. And I would say, really, to some extent, it's kind of the heart of the matter in this psalm. Um, at, at least that's how I read it. I think this, is, this sort of plays prominently on the psalmist's heart or in his thinking here. Because he says in verse 6, the stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. He is not using the word stupid, by the way, as kind of an insulting uh, word, the way maybe we use it in our culture. Other translations just say senseless. But the one, the one who just 
is unintelligent and, and doesn't have a very good sense of reason about them, doesn't understand this about, about God. It is, in, in fact, it's one of the things that um, skeptics find most objectionable about the very belief in God is that there is so much evil that goes unpunished in that kind of thing. But here's what he said. The fool cannot understand this. Verse 7. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered, he says. But look in between at verse 8 what he said. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. See, all your enemies will perish, but you, O Lord, are on high forever. Now, he is not here gloating in the destruction of the wicked. But he's encouraged by the fact that evil will not go unpunished. Forever is a long time. Forever is a long time. This world, our life in this world, is a short one. But he ultimately and finally and eternally will render justice. And so we can thank God even when we look around and see evil abounding and increasing. When it seems there's no consequence for evil, when there's no compelling reason not to lie and cheat and steal because so many other people do it and those are the ones prospering and getting ahead by it. People look on and go, well, why don't I just do it that way? That's, that's the only way I can even compete in the marketplace. Because those who do have an advantage over you. When someone has wronged you terribly and everything inside you wants to do unto others as just exactly how they did unto you. When, that's, when, when, when you're surrounded by a sense of evil and wickedness and that's all you see, that even then we can thank God that he is on high forever. That evil does not go unnoticed and it will not go unpunished. He is just and he will render justice ultimately. And then finally, thank God for his favor toward his people. See, again, I think uh, this is likely a psalm written from the perspective of one, as so often is the case in the, in the Psalms in particular, but written from the perspective of one who sees the wicked prospering. Do you remember that phrase uh, in the Psalms? You read it in various places. Lord, why do the wicked prosper? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, are you going to let this go on? Wake up, God. I mean, these are words right out of the Psalms. From a sense of evil that seems to benefit people. Evil that seems that the, the wicked prosper and don't suffer any consequence from it. 
I, I believe that's really what's sort of prevailing in the life of the psalmist here. Like in Psalm 34, um, where it tells us, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't fret about evildoers. Because if you think about that for very long, it will make you fret. Why is this? It shouldn't be this way. How long can that go on? So in other words, the psalmist here is not experiencing just abounding favor and blessing in life. But he knows that God is favorable toward his people. And that's really what you get, this, this sort of expression of faith in verses 10 through 15. That he's declaring how God sees the future of his people. Their real standing, their real station and what he has ultimately for them. He sees your future and mine as victorious. He raises up my horn. It's a picture of uh, like here the wild ox or a bull that after a, a, a fight, you know, a contest, that he lifts up his head, raises up his horns as a sign of victory. And you can probably think of a picture of a bull prancing around that way, which you've never witnessed up very close probably. It would be inadvisable to do so. But that's a raising, raising his horn as a sign of victory. God sees our future as victorious that way. He sees us as favored. It says that he's poured over me, in verse 10, fresh oil. Anointed me with fresh oil. We might think of some of the imagery too from Psalm 23. And not only the imagery, but again, sort of the language. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. My cup runneth over, right? Those kinds of promises. He anoints my head with oil. He's, he's really declaring this by faith. He sees our future as victorious, as favored, and as flourishing. All the rest of this language and imagery here. In verses 12 through 15, the righteous flourish like the palm tree, grow like the cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. That's good soil there in the house of the Lord. No better courtyard to be planted than there. They flourish in your courts, God. Trees that still bear fruit in old age as a tree is winding its life down. It quits bearing fruit. Here he's saying that the people of God as the, the, uh, pictured by these flourishing trees, they still bear fruit in old age and they're ever, ever full of sap and green. There's life in them, unfailing, unwavering. So that by their flourishing, they will declare, verse 15, that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Six ways that we can cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And you know, the truth is, 
all of us in here, at least by comparison to many of the people around the world and most people throughout history, we live a good life, right? We do have reason, in other words. We, we have specific reasons to be thankful, specific ways in which we are blessed and we could touch them and measure them in some ways. That is true of us. But what's also true of us is that life brings us to places where that is not what's most obvious. That is not the thing that is speaking to us in the middle of the night. We're not awakened in the middle of the night by reminders of how blessed we are, right? It's that anxious voice inside of us. The trouble that awaits us when we wake up. The despair looming day by day so much that in the crazy kind of way you don't even want to go to sleep because you know when you go to sleep you're just going to wake up and then tomorrow will be there. As if somehow you can hold it back by staying up and fretting. That's the truth of life, that it brings us around repeatedly to seasons like that. The other truth of, of life is that for most of us, we don't stay there. That doesn't define life for us. But it certainly does mark life for us. And there are, there's good reason in those seasons for us to cry out to God about all the evil in the world, the chaos and the confusion and so on. We ought, we, we ought to cry out to the Lord for His justice to be demonstrated on earth. But before and after those prayers, even as those circumstances remain and we dwell in those seasons, even then we can cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. By singing songs of thanksgiving, making it a daily habit every time we go to prayer, thanking God for His good character and His good works, thanking Him for His ultimate justice and for loved ones, people of God, for His favor toward you and me. A favored status that will remain forever. And the trouble that we endure to whatever measure on this earth will seem like the blink of an eye compared to the uh, joy and the bliss, the rest, the safety that we feel and experience for eternity in his presence. Well, let's pray together. Well, Lord, we just declare again, you are good and your mercies endure forever. And we thank you because we know that it's true that you are steadfastly loving. You've demonstrated that to us. We know that it's true that you're faithful. You've proved it to us. We know that it's true, Lord, that there is no unrighteousness in you. And we thank you that you are our 
God, because you made us your people. So, Lord, we pray that you would clear our vision of things, our view of things, enlighten our perspective even on the moment that we're living in, that we might be a thankful people with gratitude on our lips. And Lord, I pray again for those who are most in need of being brought by your grace to that point, that you would do so for those who are heavy laden. In Christ's name, amen.